through his word. Please be seated. Let me start this uh, sermon off with a question. Does your life reflect earthly wisdom or divine wisdom or godly wisdom? Which one does it reflect? Let me ask it another way. If you was to go to that one person in your life that you are closest to, that you fully trust, they know you as much as you know them. I mean, they really mean a lot to you. And they're the person that you go to and say, look, man, this is what I'm thinking. Am I right or am I wrong? Because they know you inside and out. If you was to ask him that question, do I live by earthly wisdom or do I live by godly wisdom? It's my hope this morning as we examine these scriptures before us that we'll get an answer to that question. And my goal is not to become critical of ourselves although at times we are to examine ourselves, actually regularly, but it's to have the awareness of how we live this life in Christ. Especially in those areas that we may not see or be readily aware of. Now, when we look at these scriptures in light of our ministry focus, to know Him and to make Him known by way of unity, maturity, and community, we see these scriptures address all three of these areas in the manner of how we live in Christ, in the body of Christ. And so as we look at the latter segment of chapter 3 here this morning, we see that James reveals two types of wisdom. And we can either walk in each one of them. And that these two types of wisdom come from two different sources. And they manifest themselves out differently. And the results are different as well. Now before we begin our examination, our scripture, let's define what wisdom is. Wisdom has always been hard for me to define. I was looking at some of the older Bibles that I've had, and I, and, I, and I struggled to understand wisdom because once my brain is tuned to a certain aspect, it's hard to get it off of that. And I've always looked at wisdom as intellect, as knowledge, as understanding, being smart. But it's more than that. It's way more than just knowledge and intellect. It's what you do with it. What do you do with the knowledge? What do you do with the understanding? What do you do with what you've learned in life? Well, wisdom is living that out. Wisdom is living out the knowledge and the understanding that you have. A builder who is wise is one who combines his knowledge of construction, his understanding of construction, and how he applies it to his trade. A doctor, a physician, 
is one who applies knowledge and understanding of the human body and illnesses in order to properly diagnose what's going on. And so basic wisdom is knowledge and understanding lived out in the person. But then we have biblical knowledge. Biblical knowledge is not that far removed as far as principle, but it's certainly different than earthly wisdom. Because it's not of man. It's of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2, verse 6. And the knowledge and understanding that makes us wise also comes from the Lord. So not only does wisdom come from God, but the knowledge and understanding comes from God, and we see that in the latter part of that same verse. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And this knowledge comes from His Word, the inspired Word of God, our Bibles. That's where that knowledge comes from. In Hebrews 4.12, we understand the Word to be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It goes deep in our lives to help us to understand the knowledge and understanding of God. And so not only does it come from God directly, but the knowledge and understanding also comes from God by way of His inspired Word. Now, earthly wisdom is lived out in the knowledge and understanding of what we have, but it's left unto ourselves to do that. The carpenter does that within his own power. The physician does that within his own power. But the wisdom from God not only comes from God, is sourced from God, but it is empowered by God to live out. To live out this life that we have in Christ John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance that all I have said. And so all aspects of godly wisdom come from God and not from us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so it's different than earthly wisdom, but the principles are there. Now, with a good, solid understanding of what godly wisdom is, let's examine our text this morning in light of that. And the purpose here is to gain a deeper understanding, awareness, and sensitivity as to which one we're living in. Because we have a fallen nature, we can vacillate between the two very easily. And so let's examine our scripture this morning, verse 13. And who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now James appears to continue to talk to those who we talked about last week, of those that desire to be teachers. But we just can't reduce it to those teachers because the challenge here is universal. It's for all of us to hear and take note of. And what James is saying here is if you claim to be wise, if you claim to have understanding, if you claim to know the precepts of God, if you claim to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, 
It'll show. It'll show. In fact, a clear giveaway is it'll show by way of meekness in wisdom. Meekness in wisdom. That's how it'll show himself. Now, meekness here, as some of your translations may say humility, which really doesn't do it justice of what we're talking about, or gentleness. But it's the opposite of arrogant self-assertiveness. It's the opposite of arrogant self-assertiveness. It is an attitude of the heart that produces gentleness and mildness in dealing with others without the need of promoting yourself. And what James is saying here is that if we profess to be wise and understanding, to be a Christian, it'll show in our meekness, in who we are in Christ. Now, this is important to understand because what was happening in the churches here at the time of James and why he's writing to them is there were some churches, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the teachers who desired to have influence, desired to have prestige, desired to have a following. And they would go at great lengths to get that, to and include dividing of the church. And they all defended it because they thought they were right. I have the answer. I understand. I have the knowledge. Follow me. And yet, right out of the gate, there was no meekness. There was no gentleness. It was all self-promotion. Not humility. And being confident in who you are in Christ. You see... A meek man doesn't follow, doesn't need a following because he's following Christ. Listen to Galatians 1.10. For I am now seeking the, for am I now, this is Paul, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And this meekness comes from wisdom. It doesn't come from any other source. Meekness doesn't come from self-improvement or a correspondence course from better you. It comes from the reconciling ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I say reconciling ministry is because when we were reconciled to our Father by way of Christ, our identity changed in who we are. It changed from you to Christ. Therefore, what validates us, what drives us, what identifies us is no longer ourselves, but Christ in us. And this is the key to meekness. This is the key to meekness because if we are in Christ, there's no need to promote self. 
And it was the reconciling ministry of Christ that makes that possible. Listen, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's who you are. That's who you are. And brothers, get it. Sisters, I understand it. We struggle with that. We do. Because the old nature says, what about me? Hello, what about me? I'm here too. And we struggle with that because the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Who's winning? Who's winning? And so James is challenging them and he's challenging us that if we claim to be wise, then show it by the meekness of wisdom. So with James setting the stage for further examination, he moves on to verse 14, and in doing so, we will see the opposite of godly wisdom and what is termed as earthly wisdom. We're going to get into the diagnostics now of what earthly wisdom is, and it's important for us to understand that so we're sensitive to it when we operate by it. So let's look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is earthly wisdom. Now, let's take a look at the sources from where earthly wisdom comes from. And the first one is earthly, hence its name. Earthly wisdom here is professed by the person. It's a self-professed wisdom. And it's derived by man, not God. Although moral in its qualities and intellect, there's something missing. Well, they may be very biblically aware, very biblically intelligent, very, very moralistic in their life. And they may be able to understand and explain the doctrines of God, but there's something missing in their life. Or there's something missing in what they're doing, and that is the leading and obedience of the Holy Spirit in their life. And it appears godly, and it sounds godly, and it's promoted as godly, but it's corrupt. It's disjointed. It's not right. It's off-center. And the focus of earthly wisdom is not godly, but worldly, as John writes in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. If that's what motivates you in your Christian faith, you might want to change course. And to think that can't easily come into the church, easily come into your individual. We, 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 we spend, you know, some people say, Tim, can you shorten your sermons to 30 minutes? I try, I really do. But you know, I only get you for 45 minutes. How much time do we spend in the world? That's not an advocate for more time spent in church, but what I'm saying is we spend more time in the world. You don't think that has an influence on us? 
if we're not guarding ourselves from it? Oh, it absolutely does. That's why we examine Scripture. That's why we examine ourselves under the light of Scripture. Now, earthly wisdom does not desire the things of God. Although it may masquerade itself as God, its intent is purely motivated for selfish desires. Next, we see it's unspiritual. Your version might say natural. And the reason is because it operates out of our natural appetites that have yet to be tempered and come under the obedience of the Holy Spirit. This is where our passion comes from. This is where our lusts come from and our desires come from. Now, that all sounds sexual, but it's what drives us. Lust is nothing more than immediate gratification of a desire. Apply it anywhere you want. Apply it anywhere you want. It's what drives us, makes us operate. And it feels each of the effects of verse 14. Finally, it's demonic. It's not the character of Christ. It's the character of Satan. Man, we don't like to think that way, do we? Demonic? Really, Tim? That harsh? It is. And this is where the real deception lies. Oh, I'm not operating in a demonic way. I'm just operating in a selfish way. Same source. Remember Peter... In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, Jesus began telling his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and rise on the third day. And remember Peter's reaction to that? We see it right there. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, O Lord, that this should ever happen to you. Honorable? Yeah, we can see it as honorable. Being a good friend? Sure. We might even defend Peter doing the right thing. Stop that foolish talk, Jesus. We don't see it as that harsh. We just see it as a natural reaction of a friend. But then what did Jesus say? But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things. Things of men. Well, gee, Jesus, that, that was harsh. Peter was just caring. Peter's just, you see how easy that is? How easy we can fall into that? And that even if we're doing the right thing, we may be under the influence of anything but right. And so we see that earthly wisdom derives from earthly or worldly and unspiritual and natural and sensual and, and, and demonic sources. That's where it comes from. And that's not a good combination, man. Those things never produce good. Although it comes off as really wise and caring, it could be extremely destructive. 
And when they are on full display, we start seeing the results of that. In harboring and bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, which is the exact opposite of meekness. Bitter jealousy means you desire something that is not yours, but you feel you deserve it more than the other person. I'm better than that. Why does he get that opportunity? Why is she able to do that? I'm better at doing that than she is. I'm better than doing that than he is. That's jealousy. That's jealousy. And selfish ambition here means to split apart. See, that's why we need to understand what the Greek and the Hebrew word means, because what it means here is to split apart, a willingness to split something apart in order to achieve personal power. It's not good. And it's not of God. Let me give you a personal example. I've been in this church for a long time. And sadly, I have witnessed this. This earthly wisdom in its full manifestation and almost destroying this church twice. The first time, it was from a man who came back to the church after not being in it for a while, and you could start to see his desires, his selfish ambition. In fact, he, I remember him quoting one day, he goes, if you just let me do praise and worship, I'll bring this church back up 20 people, easy. And I was always taken aback by that. Like, is that, is that what we're looking for? We're looking for numbers as a validation that what we're doing is right with God? No, I, I want to see the church grow. You want to see the church grow. And I think you want to see the church grow with people who have a desire and seeking God and want to mature in Christ. And this person said, you let me handle the worship service and I'll, you, you give me the reins of this church and I will bring it, I'll raise it up 20 people immediately. Like your FICA score or something. You know, if you log in, you get 20 points right there on your FICA score. I always thought that was odd. And it slowly grew. And at the time, I was a deacon. And next thing you know, the person's coming up saying all the nice things. Oh, Tim, you're a great preacher. Oh, Tim, you're a great teacher. Oh, Tim. And I was like, what is this? They were trying to get me on their side. Well, finally, it came to a head at a governing board meeting where the individual who at the time was a member at large, we had that position on the governing board at the time, flat out accused our pastor of something he wasn't doing. And I was like, what? It came to a head that day. I was young. I was young, and as we talked about in Sunday school class, I, sometimes people called me Samuel because I carried around a hacked up sword, ready to swing it. And I was like, this has got to end now. Well, he ended up leaving the church. And I was confused by that. Lord, who was right? Who was wrong? I don't know the inner details. All I could see is what I seen. Well, I went to my Schofield Bible, 
to get a cross-reference. It's one of the best cross-reference Bibles that you can buy, at least in my opinion. And when I opened up that old Schofield Bible, a letter fell out. Ironic? A letter fell out addressing that issue this week. And it was a letter from two different pastors and two different churches after that person left. He did the same thing in those two churches. And the pastors from those two churches says, he is not welcome here. It broke my heart. It broke my heart because of the church. It broke my heart because of the person. They didn't see it. They were operating in their own strength, thinking that was from God. They didn't recognize the selfishness that was motivating him. And it broke my heart on both sides. That's how easily we can be deceived. And what we're doing, we think is right. I need to come in and save the church. I'm going to be the savior of the church. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to impose my will. That never works. Because last time I checked in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, who gives growth to the church? God. He uses us as empty vessels to be filled, to be equipped, to be used. He not only gives us the personal growth, but he gives the church the growth. And so what happens then when we operate by earthly wisdom? Verse 16 gives us the, gives us the answer. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And here is the result of earthly wisdom, and it's not good. With earthly wisdom, you will always get disorder. Now, your Bible might say confusion instead of disorder, but the meaning is the same in that disorder means tumultuous anarchy. That doesn't sound good. Tumultuous anarchy? Are you, when you guys have read James, let me depart from my notes here real quick. When you guys have read James before, did this jump out at you? You see, this is why we study Scripture, to get the true understanding of what's being said here. And what we're hearing here is that the results of earthly wisdom is tumultuous anarchy. Let me tell you something. Whenever demonic influences arise, it is always revealed by itself by three things. A rebellion towards authority, disunifying in its result, and dysfunctional in its practice. It's rebellion towards authority, disunifying in its results, and dysfunctional in its practice. Remember I told you there was two times? The second time, I had the misfortune of experiencing this, came a little bit earlier than the one I spoke about just a few minutes ago. There was a person that came in the church and had a lot of charisma, and, and uh, was a, he knew his Bible, and, and, and he was able to just you know really talk and, and explain doctrine and and, and it was interesting when he first came in because all of a sudden I started seeing him doing worship, and praise and worship, leading praise and worship. I'm like, when did that happen? 
I mean, it was quick. It was quick within a month. And soon, you know, I, he was leading worship, and it wasn't long, and he invited me out for lunch out on base. I said, awesome, yeah, we get to sit down and meet and talk because at the time I was heavily involved in the church. I was doing youth. I was being trained to preach. I was preaching under the mentorship of Pastor David, and I was, I was also leading other ministries like deacon ministry. So, you know, I was really involved, and he wanted to sit down and talk with me, and I assumed it was going to be a partnership in ministry like, hey, where can I help and what can we do and all this other kind of stuff. So we went to lunch. We're on base. And initially the conversation, I was, I was pretty excited about the meeting. You know, here's this guy that's been around. He's got a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, man. What can I glean from this guy? And within minutes, that meeting went from an excitement to absolute shock. Within just a few minutes, he went from being pleasant and nice to questioning my ability to mentor and teach and lead. I... I didn't know what to say. I just stood there shocked at how quick this man changed. It had a dramatic effect on me, and after about a year, he just kept dismissing me. Dismissing, dismissing what I was doing in the church, dismissing my ministry. Finally, I sat down and had a conversation right there in the youth room with him. I said, hey, man, I need to ask you a question. Why are you always dismissing me? Why is he always being critical of me? And that's when he questioned whether I was even saved by virtue of the doctrine he kept. That was a gut punch. And I was totally floored by that. It almost wrecked my faith. And so this man, he was, he was carrying on behind the scenes. A lot of people didn't see it and the effects it was having. He even questioned whether our elder chairman at the time should have been the elder chairman. He even went after him. He divided the pastor and the secretary to where now they weren't even agreeing they weren't even unified. Everywhere you looked, there was division and separation. And it all came to a head in a class that he attended where the pastor challenged him several times on a very important question. And each time the man evaded it. Soon after that, he was no longer in the church. He left. And after he left, the pastor asked me, we're sitting out here in the hall by the coffee bar. It wasn't a coffee bar back then, just chairs. He says, Tim, what did it all mean? Why did that happen? And having experienced it for over a year and a half, two years, something like that, I told him, I said, I think we were shown what is true and what is not true. And that God's going to bring unity as a result of it. And he did. And he brought healing. Again, it broke my heart. It broke my heart for the church. It broke my heart for that man. Because he didn't see it. This is how earthly wisdom works. It's not honoring of leadership, but attacks it. 
It's not unifying, but dysfunctional. It's not meek, but selfish, with selfish desires. And it can wreak havoc in the body of Christ if it's not dealt with appropriately. That's why our policy here is anybody that comes into the church, you're welcome. Come on in. We're here to worship and fellowship with you, to lift you up, to pray for you, to help you, to equip you, to, to, to engage you, to get you plugged in. But you won't be in leadership for a year because we want to examine. We want to watch. And I think a lot of churches, small churches like ourselves, that have needs for ministry, they automatically bring people in and they plug them in. Not really understanding what they're doing without looking at the person's past experiences in other churches. And I've seen it wreak havoc in churches in Minot because of it. I think that's just wise. I think it benefits the person, too. So they're not immediately put into a position that maybe they're not qualified for. I think it's good for the church. You may disagree. I mean, but. Romans 16. Oops. But again, this is how earthly wisdom works. And listen to what Romans 16, 17 through 18, I thought I had it in my slides, I didn't. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We talked about that in the Sunday school class. That's the, that's the purpose of leadership is to guard the flock. And so that's earthly wisdom. We see its source. We see how it's manifested. We see the results of it. But now let's examine godly wisdom in the same light. Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. First, we see that divine wisdom, again, comes from God. We've discussed that. Listen to James 1.5 earlier, as we've already covered it in our previous studies. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Lord, how do I deal with this situation? Pray to the Lord for wisdom. Remember, wisdom is living out the knowledge and understanding that we have. God will guide you by His Word as to handle those situations. And what are the results? Well, first we see it's pure. Pure here means free from contamination, such as jealousy and envy and disunity. It's an internal call to holiness within our lives as a believer. I like how one commentator says it. It is a shrinking from contamination and a delicate sensibility towards pollution. If we minded our relationship with Christ the way some people 
are conscious and sensitive to the environment, could you imagine how much pollution we would not take in? And that's why Jesus said, if you're pure in heart, you'll be able to see God. Because we can only see and abide in the Lord when we have a pure heart. Next we see it's peaceable. Here James reveals the beginning of the externals. Purity was internal, the following are externals. Where purity lies within the heart, peace is what is manifested by its action. Man's wisdom does not produce peace. Peace is produced from the heart of purity and holiness and a pure love for one another. If we're pure inside and it flows from outside of us and we truly love people, we would not want conflict. We would not desire conflict. We would want to reconcile conflict if we truly love one another. It would be upsetting to us to have conflict that divides. Those two situations that I talked about crushed me from the church and the person because of the love of the body and the love for that person. And this is all possible, once again, due to the reconciliation ministry that Christ gave us. Through Christ's reconciliation, we are reconciled with the Father to where we have peace. And He's given us the ministry of reconciliation so we can reconcile one to another so we can have peace. It is also shown in gentleness, or in some versions say, consider it. Again, we have an external action here. And what James is saying, in essence, as the Greek word is kind of trouble, kind of hard to translate, it means gentle reasonableness. Gentle reasonableness. Meaning, the one who is gentle does not look for conflict. Doesn't avoid it, but deals with it. In a different light. You know, as a police chaplain, I get to go and do ride-alongs, and I was riding along with Sergeant Wheeler. He was one of the police sergeants here. He still is. And he used to be an old OSI guy back in the day, and I remember him, and when he was OSI, I was security forces. And I didn't have any dealings with him then, but um, since being a chaplain, oh, AFOSI is like the FBI, the Air Force. Anyway, and so he retired and became a Minot police officer. And as a result of that, I got to do a couple of ride-alongs as a chaplain. And we rolled up on a situation over there where that hotel is attached to the mall, whatever that is. Anyway, and there were four people standing outside. It was a domestic. And if you go to a domestic, you're walking into a very volatile situation that can turn violent in a heartbeat. And so he goes up and he starts talking, and they are going at it. Not physically, but they are going at it. They're on the verge of swinging. And he goes up and he starts using what we call verbal judo. He starts talking softly to him. He calms him down. He separates him. And he continues to deal with him in that manner with gentleness. With gentleness. He never grabbed anybody. He just gently moved him off to the side, separated the husband and the wife, and used gentleness. And when one of his officers finally snapped, it was a female officer, she goes, that's it, you're going to jail. He calmed her down too because the situation was dictating to that younger officer, we just got to do something. We got to whip out our sword 
start swinging. And he calmed the whole situation down because he had a gentle spirit. He's a believer, by the way. Man of God. wonder where he got that from. Next, we see that wisdom from above is open to reason and submissiveness. In essence, this relates to a person who is open to listen and compromise for the sake of peace without compromising principle or truth. They're the people that say, I don't always have to get my way. I can go along with what they're saying and accomplish the goal the same way if it, it was me. And it's kind of in line with what we talk about when we say, from, I believe it was Augustine, the originator of this saying, we, we, we really don't know, but it says, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and in all others, love. And those are the non-essentials. Okay, we can do it your way. That's fine. They don't have to stand there and say, my way or the highway, or I'm not going to do it unless it's my way. Then we have mercy and good fruits. Mercy and good fruits stands against the earthly wisdom that produces every vile deed. This is the opposite of that. Mercy is the attitude of compassion towards those in distress that lends to helping out that person. It is, a, it is to have a heart that looks out for others and sensitive towards others, people and their hurts, without any recompense. It's people who are empathetic versus sympathetic. Empathetic, you do something. Sympathetic, you just give them words. Oh, I hope you're feeling better. Empathetic is, what can I do to help you feel better? Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? He never once looked for anything in return for what he did for that, for that man. It also says that we are to be full of mercy, meaning it's not occasional, it's not intermittent. It means it needs to be consistent, not dependent upon the situation. And what they mean by that is a situation that may benefit you or a situation that may not benefit you determines whether you are gentle. It will also show itself, godly wisdom will also show itself in being impartial and sincere. Now, impartial is the best rendering of the Greek word, but what it really means is being able to act consistently. It doesn't change its position based upon the circumstances. It means to be unwavering and without uncertainty. Uncertainty usually comes when someone is split within their heart or conflict or unconfident in what they know. And so sincerity means unhypocritical and that there's no pretense in meaning. It does not need to work under false pretense or under a mask. It's not passive-aggressive, in other words. Those who operate by earthly wisdom tend to hide behind a mask in order to conceal their true motives. A person with godly wisdom is operating by their heart for all to see. And so James provides us the visible characteristics of divine wisdom or godly wisdom and how it should reveal itself in the life of the believer and how it stands in stark contrast as to how or what is produced by earthly wisdom. 
And when we operate by godly wisdom, some wonderful things happen. Verse 18 reveals that. We're closing up with this. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what's produced by godly wisdom. You see, the Christian life is a life of sowing. What we sow is what we will reap. If we desire to live in peace with ourselves and others and within the church, we will sow seeds of peace by way of godly wisdom and not discord and conflict by way of earthly wisdom. And when we sow with peace, we will reap righteousness, right action, right outcomes. I like how Wearsby says it. What we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow, and what we sow determines what we reap. And isn't that true? And isn't that what we want as a body of Christ? Don't we want to live a life that produces godly wisdom and all of its characteristics and results? I pray it is. I hope it is. Listen, we're all broken. We live broken lives. And Christ is calling us to be made whole in Him. And yet there are times we operate in our earthly nature. And when we do, we can also operate in earthly wisdom, either intentionally or unintentionally, because of our brokenness. And this is why I love James's letter so much, because it makes us stop and assess how we are living this life in Christ by comparing it to the way we're not supposed to live this life in Christ. Remember the question I asked at the beginning of this message? Does your life reflect what you believe? Do you walk the talk? After examining what James is saying, I think we all have a greater understanding and awareness and sensitivity between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom and how they're sourced, how they manifest, and the results that they produce. I, I want to just end this I don't know if any of you ever read the Message Bible. I don't. But when I was researching, man, it really drives home the point in these scriptures. So let me read this in closing. The same scriptures we have examined from the Message Bible. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It is the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal, cunning, devilish, and plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throat. Verse 17 through 18, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community 
that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. I really like how it said that. Brothers and sisters, it's, we have a choice every day when we wake up. Are we going to operate by godly wisdom or are we going to operate by earthly wisdom? It's easy if we're not paying attention to operate by the wrong one. But when we operate by the right one, it produces the righteousness of Christ in our life and in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it allows us to examine ourselves. Thank you that it just examines who we are, our motives. And so, Father, let us take this scripture. Let us reflect upon it. Let us examine ourselves. And, Father, help us by way of your Holy Spirit to convict us when we're operating in the earthly wisdom to bring us back into godly wisdom. Help us, Father, to have power over our old nature, the one that cries out for attention and desires to be recognized and empowered. Oh, Father, let us put you upon the throne of our hearts and in our minds, never again yielding to the flesh. Oh, Father, let us operate by godly wisdom for your glory and for the righteousness of your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.